0: What is up, everybody? You're listening to the Playing On podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. This podcast is brought to you by H2KPaintball.com. I started H2K a while back with uh, with Hitman Effect, and it's really meant uh, it's meant a lot to me. And now everything's kind of coming to fruition. It's uh, between the markers with Planet Eclipse and soon-to-be other companies and all the small batch creations that we're going to start producing. It's really, really cool to see. Um, We also have a uh, a store if you want to buy some merch going on right now. And we have also a beta program that's happening. Um, So we have a lot of things in the mix. And I'm sure you guys heard about the, the little tiny product that we have coming out that I think is i wouldn't say revolutionary just very convenient and uh i'm super excited to see it actually on the market soon so that's exciting um we're gonna be creating all kinds of small custom match stuff and it's uh it's really really exciting to see just across the board everything that's happening with uh the with Pro players and players and players alike that are just creating things and making things happen, whether it be art or um, uh, just projects in general. Uh, the amount of work and effort going into teaching paintball to the next generation and just everything—it's it's really really cool to see. And you know, I, I really think we are we are helping paintball move forward and I'm really excited to be able to contribute to something like that so uh, that's what we're trying to do if you want to check it out go to h2kpaintball.com and see what we're about so yeah appreciate it uh, this episode is with Kyle Barry he spent some time uh, with damage and floating around the New York area and uh, kind of making a name for himself and now he has settled in with the ML Kings who have Last event kind of really took a step forward. I think. I mean, they played played really well, and really were a, uh, a force to be reckoned with at that Dallas event. So I think uh, I think they're definitely moving in the right direction. And Kyle has been over and over been really stepping up to the plate and uh, and making his name known. And uh, it's, it's been fun to watch. And I think this year has just been exciting to watch with with Tampa Bay winning uh, Dallas and everything and with that being a a blind layout I think a lot of people liked it I think they did the layout itself I don't know if a lot of people liked it but uh, I I, I don't know it looked interesting to play and I just can't wait to really see the rest of the season and now that I'm playing it's going to be it's going to be fun and just stepping on the pro field again. I, I didn't think it, it would actually happen. And here we are. Here we are. So I'm talking too much. Anyway, here is the podcast with Calberry,
1: Dude, I am so grateful that you uh, uh, invited me onto the show. I've been listening, watching you since uh, beginning of Aftershock days. Like I run your C-drill pretty religiously I practice at CFP.
0: <laughs> I was always, uh, well, I appreciate it. First off, uh, s- second, I was wondering if anybody even like did that drill at all. Cause I oh, was like, dude,
1: it, we, I take, <clears throat> especially for the younger guys to see, well, the problem is the sea block drills and no one wants to dive no one actually wants to go hard in the drills. Right. Yeah. So like, Everyone wants to take the easy. Let's just snap a target drill, or like let's just go play points. C-block drill. You're running, diving, sliding, and all of it. So, and if you're running at a fast pace, nobody wants it. But like down here in Florida, you um, know, really, Jason and Jacob implemented an ideology of how to train into my head that was like the most athletic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm. And then I started taking in C- drills like years. And some other drills where I was like, okay, you can implement this. And if you do it with like the right motivation to the young players, when they're super, super early in the game, they think this is normal. And yeah. then they train like that. And like my little kid, Carter Donaldson, he's been playing for four years. He's playing on the Kings with me. Now he's only been playing paintball for four years and his mind is pretty well developed for his four years. in, simply because I think I had him when I like he first started playing paintball, I got him four years ago. and I trained him in a camp all the way up to where he is now. Yeah. And, from the very beginning it was like dude you're doing running gunning drills and if you miss all three shots you're doing push-ups right like we're playing three on fives if you lose the three on five and you're the five you're running the lap yeah. like there should be consequences so that c block drill is like we add push-ups to that and that same drill and then or burpees if we're really if it's not like a hundred degree day here in florida <laughs> yeah. um so, uh, but, but uh, yeah, we use it, we still use it. And I, I quote, you this is Karl Wachowski's drill. You can find it on his on YouTube page, but like, this is where I found it. It works great.
0: Oh man. From like forever ago was I, I put that up there. That was, mm-hmm. it was cool though too, because you know, I, I tried to think of something that would incorporate um, something that is, is a relatively like a drill that you can stay involved in one that mm-hmm. it doesn't get necessarily boring. Uh, that also works out your right and left hand at the not simultaneously, but in the, within the same drill. Right. Yep. And snap shooting and running and shooting. So I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to cram all this stuff into some uh, a conceptual drill that is beneficial at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's not just a mashup of a bunch of shit. You're just kind of like running through the motions. Like you actually have, there's an objective, but also at the same time, you're at least you're feeling the reps as you're going through them
1: yeah yeah and it's like if you do it at the right capacity like if you watch i like i watch you do the drill at full sprint and then like i'll make the kids do the drill and they'll like walk it the first time mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah like it's a good drill like you're learning some things but do you actually move that fast in the game like does that actually help you with your running gun shot in real game like real-time speed mm-hmm. and that's usually when if you there's not someone there pushing them to go like hey you can't you can't half-ass this. Like, if you really want real results, you have to go at 110% to get the results. I Can I swear
0: on this? Am I allowed to? Yeah, um, oh, dude, it's oh. – anything goes.
1: Okay, all right, sweet. <laughs> um, um, yeah, you you simply can't half-ass it. You need to get the half-ass results and you put in half-ass effort. So, like, yeah. at the end of the day, like, <clears throat> if you get on them about, like – I had, like, some Miami kids last weekend that I was training up at CFP. And you could see, like, when they weren't doing good at the drill, they didn't want to touch the drill. They would just quit the drill. They'd walk away. They'd they'd hope their friends wouldn't see it. So I started, like, making all of them watch each other do the drills. And then I was like, hey, you guys, Miami guys are, like, really vocal, but you're known for, like, negativity. Mm -hmm. And you always get down on each other when things get rough like this is your opportunity at practice to make things rough and be positive with each other like you could sit here on the sidelines and be like dude you suck you can't hit the target like what are you doing or you can sit here and be like Let's go man another route, you got it like don't worry about it you'll hit the shot take a breath like you got this and it yeah. completely changes that like the whole dynamic of how the team talks to each other.
0: yeah it's weird you know the whole um Obviously, paintball is a mindset, right? We have we have a mindset, but then you have to have the the, the physical, you know, putting your foot in front of one or the other uh, just to get it going. But then also the environment. Like, we've had pro- – yeah, I mean, you've probably heard it, and I don't know exactly your your upbringing as far as in the paintball world, but I'm sure we're going to go through that. But it's like you have some that are like – and I'm, I'm wondering this myself. Like, what exactly is the best route? on coming up because you have some who like myself I've come out and really like you got to do it or you're done like it's very physical it's very like um, I don't want to say haze like but it's like it was just it was a lot more um, it it felt like it was just it was a lot more rough of a go at it when we were doing it obviously this is just my opinion but now you have players that are really really good that are coming out that are getting a coaching style and an upbringing in the paintball world where it's very much more see, and I don't even want to say it's more technical because obviously like we were being technical back then, but I feel like it was maybe it was a little bit more hazing on top of that, but it was still like drawing mm-hmm. out the best in you at the same time. So I wonder kind of what style works best. And I think it's more of a coaching thing of like, okay, you have to know how to coach a player. Is this player going to respond more to um, saying, hey man come on you gotta you gotta fucking do better you just you have to play better or is it like hey man that last point was awesome let's let's uh let's work on what we didn't do right and let's move forward you know what i mean just kind of find that way of of talking with everybody and coaching and how you know which which way was a lot more productive
1: and this is literally like my number one thought all the time so like Personally, I, like I'm 28 years old. Like I said, we can get into the story in a little bit. But like this exact concept is what I've focused so much on the last four years. Um, you know, a little bit of a side note: my dad became a therapist in life. It was super late, so like 10 years ago, he had decided to uproot being a restaurant owner, and become a therapist. So I was tagged really? along. You know, yeah, it's was very late life. He was like uh, 35. He got in a bad car accident. So he went from like this manly man, super powerful, super strong, could do whatever he want to like it's hard to lift things up at all anymore. So mm-hmm. he went from being physical to being mental and really focusing on the brain and I watched like he would always talk about his studies of psychology and the human brain and, and just the general constructs and functionality that happen in all of us, no matter what. It's just a way a brain functions. Um, and I've, I took that to note in everything that I've done from like running my own marketing agency now as a business to like even the paintball world. And in the end, is one right or wrong? Hard to say. Right. I think it's a combination of the two and leveraging the the moments, the individual moments that happen and using a certain part of that moment to get the best out of an individual. Mm-hmm. I had like my first ever good mentor in life told me that um when you are calm, use anger. When you are anger, never use emotion. So in, in the forms of communication, if you get super mad and super angry, it is the worst time to talk. Like it is the worst yeah. time to to, to try to have an intellectual conversation, but if you're super calm, you can use anger to you know move a conversation a certain way or emphasize a certain aspect under your own control and
0: yeah. then it has
1: super powerful like actual results afterwards so I came up I came up at the same time like I started in um, competitively in two thousand seven so I was I played for the gestures. Harris and Arslan were my uh, first like painful mentors and brought me up in the game. And they used to literally pummel me in the ground. Like <laughs> if you talk to Harris, I started the game at 240 pounds at 14 years old. I was not gifted in any way, shape or form. And he told me I was just taking up space in the corner. So I was like, I probably should stop playing. <laughs> um, so he would like shoot the crap out of me as I walked off. But it, a few right. years and oh, yeah, yeah, a few years and about 60 pounds later um, i like got a chance to actually compete with him toe to toe. So, nice. um, I, the hazing definitely was there. Like the jesters were rough. Like they had Mount Rushmores where you would show up to practice, you're ten minutes late, and like say there was a few people that were late, they would line you up in a line, and Timmy would come out, the owner of the team, get his arm massage, and smack you all across the face before practice started, and you just had to sit there and take it. Like if you would <laughs> raise your hands, you had a hundred jesters behind Timmy. Like what are you doing, kid? And I'm mm-hmm. 15 years old, so um i definitely i might have been the last era of the hazing right because as you said it's really gone away because of society and culture and the way that people are afraid to bully people or afraid of getting yelled at for bullying or you know that type of cancel culture that's developed in today's society um but it the balance is definitely needed i just don't think there's a difference between hey kid do better and hey kid I know that you saw that guy in the middle and you could check him off but you didn't do your job correctly and that's why you got shot in the face. Right. There's different intellectual results when it comes to that conversation. If you just say a player to do better, right? He only has his own mindset to think about, okay, what could have I what could I have done? Like what what are my other options where If you come to him with another potential option or two or three potential options and then the statement do better, he actually has the potential to do better later. So do I believe that there should be no hazing and it should be all nice and rainbows and shiny? Hell no. I think that intensity and a, a deliverance of, um, true expectations and being hard on those expectations are needed. But I do feel like it needs to be a structured balance because if you're not getting the benefits out of what you're doing, like if you don't actually do good and your mentor doesn't notice that you do good, like you lose a sense of meaning to doing good, right? It, if you're trying to impress someone, always oh, should be fighting to impress them. And then when you do, you should be recognized for that effort so that you can build off it and know where you stand. And that's, that's what I've like, I got, I got lucky and I had the opportunity to coach for a few years. Um, my favorite years were 2016 like to 2019. I was coaching an organization called Southern Rage Paintball out of Fort Myers, Florida. And I got to work with – my youngest kid was eight. My oldest was 56. And in that time of the four-year span, we worked with 40 competitive players on the organization and right over 300 players in a league that we built to bring in players into competitive paintball. Nice. And I got to – test my favorite test that i got to do and none of the kids knew i was running tests on them it was pretty bad i probably should have let them know afterwards yeah right they're, they're completely unbiased I, I was running a test on what running did to kids so in paintball like a lot of times we show up to practice and we're just like oh yeah let's stretch a little bit you know maybe snap shoot a little bit and then we're gonna go put points all day mm-hmm. right like that's like the normal practice well Every other sport in the world runs. For some reason, you show up to practice and coach goes, run your five laps, get the stretch in, and then calisthenic before he ever mentions anything to do with the sport. And I was like, why are they doing that? Like the players are already a bit tired. Maybe they're, they're doing it to get in-game fatigue. Maybe they're doing it to, to like do specific physical aspects. I always thought it was physical aspects for the reason they were running up. Mm-hmm. So I tested it for three months straight. I, had, I took roughly around 40 players with a wide aid range from D6 to D4. That really didn't know much about paintball they were just following my guidance and i would start the day off with like one lap and i would start go right into stretching and then we might do some running gunning drills snapping drills um maybe a red line drill and then three on fives and then points it always was like structured the basic way same structure right did that for three months with some alterations day in and day out i have it all written down and then i did three months where i did the same exact practice structure But in the beginning, I just ran them until I got three or four kids to puke, like Mm -hmm. on the sidelines, booting. So they're running three laps. They're doing lunges up and down the field. They're doing burpees. They're doing uh, slides, and they're popping up uh, with the burpees. Then they get their guns in their hand. They're doing snapping drills. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, I would have – you know, a, a 27-year-old grown man puking his brains out and then a 19-year-old kid huffing and puffing, but everybody was gassed across the board. Even the guys that were, like, roofers and were, like, we're in the greatest shape ever was still gassed. And I was running a study to see what practice they actually liked more. So I would ask them questions at the end of practice in both those months of, like, what did you think of practice? How much did you learn? Did you think it could be better? Like, was this your favorite practice or something better than it? I had a list of questions. Bar none. The days that I made them run, I would have the same practice structure for non running days and running days, and I compare the two and the days I made them run, they thought the practice was above and beyond better. They thought they ran different drills, they learned different things, and i I also took note of how many times people broke attention when I was talking, so there was forty people in front of you they're all spread out, and you 're talking. you can see people <laughs> kind of like you know spacing off and not looking. yeah, when I ran the kids, they were all just like laser-focused, paying attention. And when I didn't run them, I'd always have side conversations, little chats in the back and and break of consciousness. And it made me realize that, like, um, that that hardness, that toughness, not just together as a team, having everyone to do it and, like, supporting each other and pushing each other and doing it in a positive way, but the fact that you showed up and the first thing that you realize is this is not easy. You took it more serious for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, that study alone has helped... You know we we go on to like the roughness like the edgy and the hazing compared to like today's like intellectual focus on little steps and like really kind of like coddling the player to be the exact player like kind of robot they want them to we want them to be and that's why I think it's a true combination because after you run the kids to absolute sweat, tears, and puke you have to cognitively get them aware, get them to recognize what's going on and then calm their heart rate down and get them to focus in on the game while you're teaching specific aspects. Like I go from there into drills and then right into three on fives. And three on fives, we would do hard one minute drills. You had to, the five had to close it in one minute. The three had to stay alive and lock it down. And I would make everyone run if communication was off. I'd make everyone run if they didn't find the bodies fast enough. I'd make everyone run if there was a three on five and one of the three died in the first ten seconds, like super early didn't like actually care about his body. Everyone's running. Just whistle. Everyone's running. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I took that D4 team from like um, some of them we found off Craigslist. Most of them we found off that program, which is like street signs in Southwest Florida and some Facebook ads. And uh, in 2017, we had uh, 20, 22 podiums through D6 to D4. So like oh, wow. we were running all of local Florida. D6. We were like one of the most winning. Yeah, Holy it's crazy. Shit. It's three men. It's three men. Yeah, it didn't <laughs> exist when I started either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it sounds it, like you, the, I mean, you have. you have a structure that definitely works you know obviously and you're when you're talking about you know the the differences between you know having the calisthenics and everything in the beginning of practice I was trying I was thinking about it I was like I think that's the separation of the the real life to that draws the line in in the sand right that's that's the line in the sand of like okay real life everything happening right now forget about it this is what we're focusing on now This is what we're doing now. This is what your bodies, your minds, everything is going to be focused on doing now. And I think, I think that does really work too, especially like, you know, doing, uh, doing laps and then stretching and then, like, having the conversations while we're stretching. I mean, I've always, I've always tried to be like lighthearted through everything, um, even if you're out of gas or or whatever it is. But just keeping it lighthearted and and but still recognizing that you are you're there to get better. You're there to recognize your flaws, you're there to, to uh, work on the things you need to work on, but then also recognize that you're there to, to, to be better as a team. Like you said, communication, the, uh, the individual, the individual uh, themselves getting better. And you know, I don't understand why everybody needs this set structure of like, you know, get there, snapshot, do whatever, run, run, uh, dr- or not run drills, but uh, just run points. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I understand like a paintball is obviously a game of situations, right? You, you get into a situation, know what to do in that situation. And the best way to know what to do in that situation is to be in that situation multiple times, make all the bad decisions at practice and get them out of the way and, and start building on that to where in the time comes you make that right decision. Um, so I understand that reps are a necessity, but then also, you know, I, w- I was listening to Tyler and Marcelo's podcast with uh, Joey Blute and it was cool to kind of hear his process of like the blind layout thing of being able to actually coach again and coach his guys and see where his guys are individually on, um, you know, he was talking about hyperball and everything, but I think just not be not focusing on the field itself, but focusing on the players themselves. It's like when you when you watch anybody practice, it's like any other professional team in a professional sport, they don't they scrimmage here and there or other teams, but most of the time they're practicing themselves. They're practicing whatever they're doing. They're just doing, you know, repetitions and going through the motions and obviously at a higher pace and they, they hit or they do whatever, but there's still that uh that competitive nature there and i think that the coaching is involved so much more with a blind layout obviously i'm not a coach so i'm just saying it from my opinion but i mean like you don't you don't have the whole focus of just being the field you have the focus of the team and the individual players themselves
1: yeah i i agree with you to a like a, a uh like an extreme point honestly because it's you're 100 percent correct and i don't think people value how how much you can pull out of a layout when you really think about it mm-hmm. right like impact guys are super good at it the damage guys are incredible at it as individual players um you know as for a blind layout i um in in my eyes honestly they're just stuff in the way for shooting people you know what i mean they're just yeah. things that get in my way of getting down the other side of the field so when it comes to a structure. Like I tell the younger guys, especially going into this last event, when it comes to a structure, you just check off. Like there's a an A, B, C, D system to paintball that makes you do it correctly, right? If you just jump through gaps and don't check off and don't listen and don't see the angles and the structure of your field that it's supposed to be played because you're so stressed out or wherever it might be, yeah. um, the game will become very difficult. But when it comes to like coaching, I think that with a blind layout, the coaches are limited comparatively to a non-blind layout. And the reason I say that is because we have no idea of data when it comes to a blind layout. We have assumptions like so we can, we can like see the field and be like, all right, I think we can do A, B, and C, and if we do this, this play might work. If we do this, this play might work. Um, but I can't test it. In no way, shape, or form can I actually test it unless I watch the games and we actually execute it, and then we can see our win-loss failure. But that's really, you're on a It's hard to determine that right so it's hard to, for me to play this crazy blind move at this certain point in the game that's a play driven to beat you which we will see a lot of times on like a, a normal layout practice because i haven't tested the play enough to know it's probable so
0: but are you testing the play, play with five alive
1: yeah yeah that's the whole thing you're, you're testing a play at the so let's, let's put it this way it's three three you got a minute 20 left right on this field you let's use the last blind layout you had the opportunity to run an up-and-over route into that third Dorito on the D side and mm. break through the middle guns and be able to get wide. But nobody – we couldn't test the route enough or understand the route enough to understand if it's actually a probable route because we would run it one time and get shot, run it the next time and possibly make it. But you didn't have enough numbers to say, okay, is that guy if, in, a, in a tough point when guns are on point and you're going to hit your shots, and you're worried about certain aspects, how hard is it to shoot this guy? If it's hard to shoot this guy, let's run it. We make the gap. That could be the game opener from us, and that breaks Mm -hmm. the game. The Russians are very good at this. You see the Russians do this on on scheduled layouts all the time. On a blind layout, you hesitate to play that call because you have lack of confidence in it. You really don't know if it's going to work, as well as if you ran it 20 times at practice, and you're confident in your team, you're confident in your players, and you have that. So as a coach, when it comes to a blind layout – for the ml kings i play i'm a player coach right so me and and charlie design all the plays and structures as we go and then i go on the box and i help execute it right so i'm helping charlie build those plays it's very hard for me to be confident about a play that we never got to really practice i'm just i'm simply assuming and i love the quote that an assumption is just making an ass out of you and me mm-hmm. it's very hard to be concrete about those assumptions so It it gives a lack of confidence to the coaching staff, which is tough. So it it makes it a more on-the-player game, and that's what Damage did extraordinarily well. I mean – you know, hats off to Joey Blute for giving the freedom to his players for the players to make their decisions and make their own calls on the box. But you have Brian Smith and Jason Edwards on one line, two, you know, longtime incredible pros, extremely intelligent. And they're figuring out how their line's playing against their other side and how their players want to play it. And on the other side, you have Keith Brown, Jacob Edwards, um, and um, Keith down Jacob. Jacob's probably running that line mainly, but that the minds of those two alone. I didn't know who it was else on that young guns line where Joey called it the emotional line. Um, uh, Lackey was definitely on on what I call the dad's line. That was on the that was on Jason's line, but I'm pretty sure.
0: Um,
1: it was yeah wearing wearing was with Mikey or with Jason, but I was watching them all the whole event. The whole event I was watching them because they played it so much differently because they didn't care about executing that layout we care about the layout of playing the best paintball they possibly could every single point and they wanted to like i was talking to brian smith yesterday um at cfp and, and i was talking to him i was just like you know who was coaching like who's making the calls and he's like me and jason and i were so him and jason are making the calls in the box which gives them the opportunity to look their player in the eye and say hey you can gonna make it to the snake and read their body language if you see them hesitate for a second or go uh i don't know it's like okay make it the corner like make the bunker you feel confident in making which as you know, as a dude that would come off the box running and gunning, shooting back in the center and going to the 50 off the break, when you're confident about making to the 50, guns up, you're going to make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you hesitate for a second, you normally get clopped in the face. So I think giving his giving the players that freedom to say, do what makes you comfortable and as a line, figure it out together. And then other teams have to face two totally different personas. Jason Edwards is like the heavy gunner, communicator, slow point uh, and really is going to figure the game out. And Jacob, his line was the fast punch, heavy hit, go at him tough and hard, and constantly on the gas pedal. So as a team playing against them, you're looking at two totally different looks that are optimizing and getting better every single point by themselves. It's a yeah. great, it's a great system as long as both you have 10, 10 high level guys. Like us as the Kings, like we're trying real hard to have five top level guys at every event. Right. Um, Luckily, the last three events that our guys have been hit on on cylinders, but they're so young that inconsistency shows a lot, you know, Uh, either from fear, from just lack of experience of playing a different style and not understanding it quite yet. There's a lot of things that will put the brakes on my guys that the damage guys have seen a thousand times. So when they see it, it's more of like they can adjust faster than Joey.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think, too, like what goes along with having the amount of reps that those guys have had. Is I think the uh, the availability of adaptation, and I think I think adaptation not only uh, contributes to wins for players and teams in a in a blind layout like that, but then also for uh, for even layouts that you know what it is because I mean I feel like it happens all the time where you go to a you go to a field and it's like oh you know. Everybody has an idea of how this field's gonna, you know, play out. But then you get there and it's like it fucking flips its shit, you know, and it plays really quick or this or that. And I think just like you would have to do at a blind layout situation, you would have to adapt. And I think that is one of the biggest things in paintball with all the variables that we know that are there, I think the number one thing that a team has to do, a team down to the individual, down to the coach down to everything is adaptation because if you cannot adapt and you can't do it fast enough you will be left behind and I think that's what's great about a blind layout is because um, a lot of players and a lot of teams who have the experience they know how to adapt but do they and will they adapt quick enough to let's say, an ML Kings or another team. And I've and I've heard a lot of the argument of, like, you know, some of these layouts, you have some of these teams who are, like, middle ground, lower teams who, um, especially on these fields now where all these big bunkers, they can just run to these spots and they can, like, shoot a couple guys and this and that, and that's, that's why these lower teams are coming up and everything. And I was like, eh, that's kind of a bullshit argument because you're playing the field too. You know what I mean? Right. You can do the same thing if you want to. But you just go and you say, well, okay, well, this is just, um, you know, those teams being able to do that. So that's why they're winning or that's why they're doing this. It's like, dude, you're playing the same field. You're doing the same thing. Like, you can't just just give that kind of an excuse and expect everybody to go, yeah, you're right. You know what? I mean, that's why they're doing well. It's like, come on, man.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Joey brought that up to me in um, Dallas. That was, like, the argument that he brought to me was that there was less bunkers. We had to gunfight that the lower <laughs> divisional teams would instantly get stomped on, or the lower, you know, the lower bracket teams, the, the bottom 10. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, I look at him and I think – I've been thinking about it since he said that because I come from traditional X-Ball. Like starting in 2007, I only got one or two years of it. But I came from 15 balls a second, two 25-minute halves, you know, five-minute (laughs) halves. The fun stuff. The fun stuff. I came from AXPL like in the northeast and that was – by far real paintball right so mm-hmm. um and there was a lot less bunkers in the field but the the main difference i think that he's not you know he's not putting into the equation is the level of intellect that teams like ac Dallas opened i call it opening the pandora's box basically bringing the idea and concept that once it's out into the world everybody is going to be able to understand it see it and, and evolve from it mm-hmm. and if you look back at ac dallas the the true the original ac dallas before the paintball fit players took it over the um, danner
0: ac dallas with with the brothers and everything.
1: yes yeah danner yeah yep with matt and uh, jackson and everybody like that that ac dallas they weren't the most until they brought on BJ. they were they were not an athletic based team whatsoever but they would always make sunday and always be able to compete and and people didn't quite understand why until you could listen to them on the sidelines mm-hmm. so they systematically broke down how they were supposed to talk to each other, who was supposed to say what, and then did way more than bunker calls. They had bunker calls, and then, like, you know, when I was younger, we had snake sides clear, D sides clear, that was our only call, Right. right? Now we have the snake side wire is clear, like just the pipeline. There's nobody in the snake. There's nobody in the corner. The snake side from like the God over is clear. And now the full snake side's is clear. So we have a call for each zoning structure. So when you dive in, you know how wide the farthest body is. So you knew exactly where to engage. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, and that's an AC Dallas thing. They had, they had six calls per field from left to right on zoning structure. And then in the actual zones, like the spot before the snake, They'd give it a color code. So like the dive into the snake, not a bunker, but the gapping between the God and the snake would be like red or fire. Whatever you want to call our call. You know, we have calls that for that gap. So you Carl, you're in the God, you're fighting me. Heads up. You put, you put me in heads up. You go to wrap at the home and go to, and I'm like the homes, the main containment for the snake. You put the home in and I just give up. I'm in the home and I just start screaming fire and I give up the gap. Right. I might shoot two or three balls at you to slow you down for a second. But as I'm screaming fire, the guy on the D side or the other secondary cross guy just turns his gun right away and shoots into the gap. So now you're putting your secondary guy in thinking you can go take two steps and get clocked by a random paintball. And you're like, how did that happen? And it was simply because they thought about the layout and the structure of the field differently to understand a zoning that was built off communication, not just by strong guns. So you brought in this next level of intelligence into the game and how you break it down. So if we had big gappings and, and huge structures like that with our current level of communication and understanding of the fields, it, I think it'd be a slow game for everybody, uh, honestly, yeah. um, just because we didn't have it so much and our shots are so much accurate. Do I think that the, the teams would divide? I would think the divide happened every year. Right, like I think the teams that do not put in the effort year in and year out create this divide. I mean, we're in the pro. There's only 20 teams here. And just like any other professional circuit, there is top-level teams and there is lower-level teams. And it's simply because it's it's two things, right? Because I always look at trade my gun and second-guess myself because they put in a lot of effort, right? It's the amount of effort you put into the development of the sport and understanding it both physically and intellectually. And the second one is understanding uh, prudence, which – um is just the ability to make the right decision, right? Yeah. Understanding the right path because coming from upstate New York, like they didn't know what the heck they were doing. Like I, I grew up there for the first nine years, and I love every one of those guys. But it wasn't until I came down to Florida, got too damaged, when I was like, "Oh, that is the systematic way to play paintball. Like that is the ABCs of how to do this." Before I just thought it was shoot, rap, go, shoot, mm-hmm. rap, go. That was the whole mindset around it. And uh, they took it to a whole never a whole nother complex five on five level that opened that Pandora's box for me, that opened that intellectual level. And that's when I was like, okay, there's like a there's a system to this that has to be broken down. So do I think that it was going to be a huge divide? I think the divide will happen just like it will every other year. I just don't think it'd be as drastic as Joey thinks, just because the intelligence of the the general pro community has gone up so much <laughs> over the last decade.
0: Yeah. It's also really easy to hold people in with a ramping marker. I still I yeah. still am a huge huge proponent of getting rid of ramping because it literally hurts my brain to see people shoot with one. I mean, I do it. I I do yep. it because I can, but it's still like it 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 breaks my heart whenever I see somebody do it or I'm doing it because it's like it's like fucking training wheels almost. Yeah because it's like... I
1: truly believe it. I practice in semi you used to say that, you know, I used to watch your stuff when you were younger. That like, practice in semi, I practice in semis from time to time still. And once you switch over to ramp, you feel like an animal, like it's a totally different yeah. gun. Like the thing takes over, but you know, I, I don't believe that the current format of professional paintball is the optimal format. I, I don't like, I think five on five is an optimal format because of the size of the field. And the fact that seven on seven, if you don't think we can pay attention now, seven on seven would be way too crazy. Um, right. So I think five on five is right. I think the dimensions are pretty much on point, but I do believe that we should have um, less bunkers, um, more structured lane blockers specifically so that, honestly, I believe the cameraman should set up the field. the cameraman set up the field every single time, we'd have the best shots, period. And that's what really matters. We'll play whatever field we get. We don't really care. You know what I mean? I just, you know, give me some bunkers, I'll play it. But – if a cameraman could get exactly what he wanted for footage and every shot looked incredible and amazing, like think of the content that would come out of the event, you know, it'd be, it'd be mind blowing. Um, but, um, I think it's going to be semi and I think it needs to be like 12.5 semi. So if like you actually train your fingers, you can get on it. Um, because I started, I didn't have men, you know, I was in a back in the day I played yeah. D2 back in like 2010 and, but it was a totally different game. Like, I was sat, I used to sit, I remember for two weeks straight before the Buffalo event, I sat in class. I'm like a junior or sophomore, I sat in class with rubber bands around my fingers, just going back and forth <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: over and over until I was like, dude, I'm not going to get in a bad position and not be able to shoot this gun fast. Yeah, um, and I, we still sucked. I don't think we did good at all, but I
0: tried really <laughs> hard. Tell you that. No, it's cool. But I mean, thinking about it, you know, I because I always got shit for like shooting semi at practice or anything like that because it's like, well, how do you know you're going to be able to shoot this guy off the break um, if you're shooting, you know, twelve balls a second or thirteen balls a second in semi or whatever? Uh, then it was. I was like, does it matter? Like, does it matter? I'm still shooting the same lane. If I, you know, it, it, it's just like, it's just making me. Whenever I shoot in semi, it's just making me more conscious of every single ball I put out of the marker so that I feel like that it just it hones me in a little bit more rather than rely so much on the volume. It it just hones me in more on like the individual shots that need to count, Um, which I've always been a proponent of is like just fucking, you know, make your first three balls very, very accurate or hit the fucking target, like one or the other. Right. But, but if you can do that, I mean, you'll, you'll be able to, no matter if they're shooting semi or if they're fucking ramping or whatever it is, you'll at least be able to break gaps. And you know, but I feel like there's, there's a lot of people that are very content and, and, and so focused, so focused on doing a job to its fullest extent, rather than kind of getting, um, I don't want to say lost in the game, but having the game kind of like develop with them that they're, they kind of get lost in the spot where they, they kind of miss out on opportunities to maybe jump a gap or, or see a guy. They're so worried about like communicating every single thing that they can. And in, in that spot where it's like, Hey man, you could have jumped a couple of gaps and shot this guy in the pack, but you were so worried about like all these calls. And I'm not saying I'm not, saying at all that like you shouldn't communicate, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. But I feel like there's a very much a premise going where it's like do your job, communicate, do all this shit first before you move or before you do everything. But then at the same time, like somebody has to kind of create the chaos and and make the adjustments or force the adjustments. And I'm not saying force the moves, but I'm saying like just kind of like throw a little chaos in there because you you have to be able to be the player that turns the page.
1: A hundred percent, you know. You know I mean? And I, there's two things that I want to hit on there. Like one, it, it's so funny. I, my my, uh, my my girlfriend Sierra, she like she loves paintball, right? So she's been watching paintball. Oh, that's a plus. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a plus. I've, i I I brought her to World's and It makes it makes it a little bit easier. But she loves paintball and she watches that's it. Sweet. She came to me one day watching some of the some of the divisional players, and she's like do some people just like shooting their gun? And I'm like, yeah, I I think so. You know what I mean? I I think, I think they do. You know, I think they just like shooting their gun because she understands lanes and, and, and components. And that's the second point I wanted to hit on is I don't think that that terminology jobs has been defined too well. Right, we brought we coined it in in like early like 2010 2012. We started talking about specific jobs that we'd have in the field. Before that, if you look at like the X ball days, we talked about momentum and shifting of momentum and the and the ability of players. And then we started going into really when coaches started coming in 2010 2011 2012. You started seeing Rusty formulate these structured jobs and these plans and this concept of an an ideology of how to play the game. But I don't think what was really correlated in those jobs is that you have a specific job on the field that correlates to the overall job of the point. Mm-hmm. So like when I, when I talk to my guys to, to remove confusion and make things really simple, we only talk about three positions. I don't talk about front Dorito, front snake, back snake, back Dorito, home. That, we, we don't think about it that way. We only think about three roles in the field. You are uh, an attacker or someone that's there to take ground. You are a container, someone there to, to stop their team from taking ground. And you are a support player. There's only three roles that happen, and you play all three roles every single point. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about. There's a lot of times where the front attacker, the highest opportunity to take ground, neglects his 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 main job his main role to do things that the containment guy and the and the support guy are doing they're already doing it they're already talking they're already communicating they already know the calls yeah and they're they're not going forward like they need to know there's only certain communication that we need it from you as a front guy as a front guy you're running out wide the one thing you can see is the middle the two center guys can't see the middle so the only thing you really need to communicate is the middle and then get on your horse your job is to take land take land right but your job at any time can switch from an attacker to containment. Like, you know, I, I've seen you do this a bunch of times. You're in the 50 snake. You can't go any farther because there's a bunch of guys shooting the cross. So you just sit on the widest guy and you contain him from going up snake up the snake side. So now you have the stop. You're actually playing a defensive role. Mm-hmm. So your secondary guy that was behind you shooting that lane that was doing containment now can come off containment and become an attacker Yeah, and go and attack. And I think the the, <laughs> the most under appreciated role and the most incredible role is that quarterback or that support role, which is like you see Marcelo Margot doing extremely well, Nick Laval doing incredibly well, Jason Jacob for their lines the last event doing incredibly well. at Being that, that player that understands that you are not containing the G side, you are not containing the snake. You do not have to just roll your gun in a redundant fashion to shoot the same way that another one of your teammates are. Your job is to bring it all together. Your job is to support Hey, the guy shooting D side is having trouble and the guy's putting him in and he's about to go to support him and, yeah. and shoot the D side with him for a second, let him get back control. If your front guy is getting stopped and he can't take more land, you have to talk to him and find out, Hey, do I have to fell to this corner to put the home in so he can take the next bump? And that's my support role. My, my job is not to shoot nobody. My <laughs> job is not to contain any gaps. My job is to understand what's going on in the field and support the guys that is because with five bodies you'll always have that fifth dude that needs to do something and then as body dies and things happen those three roles just kind of interchange but they never really stop and then the biggest you know the biggest job of all that most people forget about is touch damn buzzard so like the last resort always is the attack role like Mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing and um you know you hear about all the time you can't teach aggression you can wind down aggression but you can't teach aggression i think it's because a lot of times we we forget To emphasize to the player why you're really there, you're there to touch that buzzer on the other side of the field. There's a lot of things that go into that, but at the end of the day, without aggression, you will never win a point. You stay in the home every single point, do not move, you will not win. Even if you kill everybody and don't touch the buzzer, you (coughs) don't win. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So I've always had the same thing, you know, the same three, right? You know, back in the day, it was always front, mid, back. Um, I referred to, I'd refer to him now as like. attacker or bait and and i'm you not saying like that. i'm not saying like like the actual uh f- thing of baiting a player but more or less of like just get somewhere alive and turn guns like be the, be the bait at times you know you don't have to do anything you don't have to do everything all the time you can you can chill out. You can turn guns because, and you know, and that's that's the first guy, right? You have attacker, you have bait, and then you have utility, which is that guy who can either be an attacker or he can be uh, the third, which is an anchor. And it's to me those three. You have to be able to play any of them, right? You don't have to be great at all three. Be pretty damn good at one of them, but be able to play all three if need be. Because at some point in time, you're gonna fucking have to do it. Um But <clears throat> but also as a front player, too, and I'm, I'm saying this from a, a front player front slash utility players perspective of like, don't don't think that you you can't do a job alone, too, because I think there's this is a team sport. Yes, this is great. But if you can make a moment happen on your own where you can you you have the confidence in yourself to be able to shoot a guy in and cross a gap, like do it. I'd fucking do it, please. But if you need yes. help, obviously ask for help, but don't be afraid to do a job on your own. Because I feel like there's a lot of, and it could be my, like my older playstyle mindset. mindset. Um, but at the same time, like I'll, I obviously ask for help too, but the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll figure out whether or not I can do it on my own. Because sometimes help, I feel like yeah. some guys I I see play a spot, they get to a spot and then right away they're like asking for help. But it's like, come on dude. Like, fucking engage yes, like like dude yes. get in get into a gunfight feel the guy out see what you have to do head check rap and head check like just engage yourself in the game instead of being this just container dude you're the number one you're, you're the furthest down the field and you're you're containing like and you and it's not even really a containing spot it's like a spot where you can like attack more or or turn guns more, and you're just kind of I don't know. It's hard to explain because I know there's a lot of people no, out there that that are probably like, right. no, they have to. You know, you have to stay alive. You, like, obviously, if I could be alive at the end of every single point, great. But if I can, if I can at least shoot a guy, or maybe run a guy down, or do something to break across, or do something. Obviously, if we have. Um, you know, I have to shoot the guy. I can't do, I can't do a move or do something and not fucking get somebody because then it's just a garbage move, right? But I think that's, an, that brings up another point. I was thinking about fucking scatterbrain um, is like, you know, we always talk about and I've always done this throughout my career. Is like I'm always I'm always trying stuff out, especially any field that we play. Whether it's a field that's going to be coming out, that's going to be two weeks out or whatever, or it's a field that we just randomly play. It's like I feel it out, and I'm gonna go through all of these moves that are like, even if it didn't work, it's like okay, well it didn't work then. If you do, if you do a move five times and it doesn't work, fucking do something else, man. You it's not working. But if you do it once and it doesn't work, like. Don't be afraid to revisit that because I feel like what happens is sometimes, and, and I think that's what kind of like retracts people from playing a position like that. It's like if they make a move, they're afraid to make the move because if they get shot, then they're you know they're they can't they can't get shot. But it's like you have to be able to feel it out; otherwise, you're not gonna you're not gonna gain that timing experience. And you have to be able to put yourself in a situation and find things uh, and, and adapt. Quickly and be able to figure out how to break across or how to do this, and I've always said like the greatest moves this sport has ever seen are one enemy away from looking a different way to being one of the worst moves. Yep. You know what I mean? Because I, I always think well, about that. Job. I'm like, I, I've I've gotten yelled at. I don't know how many times from like Bruno and whoever all my coaches were were like, you know, I I get out i take two steps and all of a sudden the one guy that i had checked off turns and sees me and then shoots me you know after i take my after i take my first initial steps and i'm like okay but that's that's just that at that moment right but it would have been a great move or 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 the move i did you know two po- points before where i ran through shot two guys and i ran through the middle and nobody was looking, that was a great move. But imagine if one of those guys, you know, was looking inside and shot me to pieces or vice versa or whatever. It's like paintball has always been that, at least for me. It's like it's fucking one terrible move is one great move away from just having one guy turn the other way and nobody's looking. So it's like, oh, you did,
1: you're hundred percent correct. Like it, the one thing I've tried to do is just understand the variables we can control. Yeah. Right. And you get in the absolute most of it. So like a little precursor about me, like I went through like two years where you could talk, you could say it's like the worst luck in the world. Like I just had, I got caught at the wrong place at the wrong time over and over and over and over and over again and yeah. and, and got burnt for it a bunch. And I kept on telling myself it was bad luck. It was bad luck. It was bad luck to a point where I was like, man, if I keep on saying it's bad luck, I can't fix it. I can't, can't do anything forward. about it exactly so i i gave a formula to luck i I was like, okay well i heard this somewhere some podcast whatever but it it clicked really well and it said um luck is simply when preparation meets opportunity Mm -hmm. right if you're not prepared and you run yourself into a even say you are prepared say you you are completely prepared you you want to be the best professional paintball player in the world but you live in an area where you have zero opportunity so say you live in like a state like Alaska where you really don't have any competitive paintball in the area. Right. And you don't have any opportunity. You will never find what we call luck. That's right. You'll never get that big win, you know, (laughs) exactly. But if you're in the same position with an area where you get opportunity, like California or Florida or something like that, there's so much opportunity for you to get lucky, AKA you were prepared for the situation and and something Mm. came about where you could actually grab a hold of it. And, um, you know, most people chalk a lot of stuff up to luck. Like I, I try to think about how that, how that luck, how that situation came about, and how I was prepared to accept that situation to actually move forward. And I do the same thing with paintball because there's so many people that hone in on the things that we can't control. Yes, yeah, sometimes the paint's off, sometimes your gun goes down, sometimes the ball bounces, sometimes you get a horrible ref call, hmm. right? But the beautiful thing that I always, I always hone in on with paintball is that. We've won points in nine seconds. We've won points in 10 seconds, right? It's easy to win a point fast. So at any moment, you are simply a time lock and a scoreboard away. So it's it, it doesn't matter what happened in the last point. You could be down – I mean at Sunday, the last event in Dallas, we're down 5-0 versus Ironman. And mm-hmm. it, it's not in the pits in a mentality where it's like – or not Ironman, I apologize, versus Heat. We're down 5-0 versus Heat. And and we're in a horrible situation. We're one point away from mercy and we could constantly be honing in on the negatives and everything going on and you just focus in on the factors you can control. And that's that's that adaptation. Like I don't think people really quantify what adapting in a paintball match really means. Adapting in a paintball match means you know, when we're playing Heat and they do something two or three points in a row, we look at the way their box is structured and understand what their next point is going to give us. And then you move past that, you look at individual player tendencies. So every time Chad George dives into the snake, he's going to stop at the snake one and shoot the inside for a few seconds, giving us an opportunity to move out wide, mm-hmm. right? If we understand that, we adapt and take the movement off of it. If we never look <coughs> at it and never evolve off the situation, we never get better. Yeah. Um, So it's it's a it's a correlation of like really that build up of intelligence within the game itself and adapting to how the game style plays and how the structure is for what you can control. Right. If you constantly think about the things you can't control at the end of the day, you're sitting there yelling at the refs, yelling at the opportunity that was given to you, and not focusing on what the real problem was, which was you as a player, right? Or the t- you as a team or whatever it might be, right? <clears throat> yeah. So it, it's, I think it's the reason that my guys have, have progressed so much this last year and a half because both Charlie Gibbons and I have always been about like, um, if you're if you're trying to have a conversation with us about stuff we can't control, we'll we'll shut you down right away and say that's not the problem. Let's move on to what the real problem is and how we think about the solutions to move past this. It is not yelling at you because of certain aspects or <clears throat> arguing with the refs or a certain call, whatever. It's just it might wasting be. energy. Yeah, exactly. It's wasting it's wasting strength and, and the, the real focus needs to be on getting better. And I think teams like Dynasty has almost perfected that. Going, I mean, look, they came into the last event a blind layout, what like it looked like they weren't prepared, honestly. It didn't look like normal dynasty. They go 0-2, come back the next day, and almost pull it back and make it through to Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Completely different team day two. And that's because they had the, the understanding <laughs> to come in and say, like, we have to understand how to adjust and how to be better as individuals and as teams on this layout. And there's degrees of how much you think about that. Like, level is a great example. Like, the team that you're on now, I'm so excited to come watch you play. Honestly, I'm, like, so pumped up <laughs> to see you play again. I hope. I hope your knees are still good. I hope you're still fast. I hope you're killing it still. I'm very excited. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but they're they're a great example. And I talked to level guys. I'm like, how did you? I talked to Danny, and I was like, how did you guys change things around? And they said we did less. I we simply did less, which truly correlates to they they put more emphasis on the smaller things. They put more strive and more focus. On accomplishing that, winning that individual gunfight, at mm-hmm. uh, owning that lane, at uh, taking that next gap at a hundred percent, instead of trying to fight three people all the time, constantly trying to do too much, trying, constantly trying to win the game by yourself. Yeah. And um, again, I was talking to Brian Smith uh, over the weekend, and he said the same thing. It, it is not some flick of a switch that changes a team from a team that can't win a match to a team that's making Sunday and winning tournaments. It is the combination of every player giving an extra 10%. Thinking about how they launch off the box, thinking about how they hold their gun, thinking about how they engage, and giving that extra 10% across the board that elevates the team to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's the true, like you at the Aftershock camp, I felt like it was the same problem that the Trade My Gun camp saw. Which was, you had incredibly dedicated players. You had people that were in it for the long haul. That gave their stride. That they, they. Do you know who Ty Lopez is? Are you a fan of Ty Lopez?
0: That name sounds so familiar.
1: So he's like a big marketing guru. So in the marketing world, you know him pretty well, but like uh, he's a big he,
0: the gla- uh, he has glasses and he's always like glasses, in his house, yeah. his office or his garage yeah, or yep, something. exactly, yep. that
1: guy. So he's got a lot of stupid, stupid <clears throat> videos, but he has one video that's an interview that's absolutely incredible. And he, he explains throughout all time, the most recent studies find that there's one defining factor between successful and non-successful people in business. And they call that conscientiousness. And conscientiousness is broken down into four sub facets. And that is, Diligence, organization, perfectionist, and prudence. So, diligence is just hard work, which every guy in Chicago had, right? Yeah. Every guy in in the Midwest had hard work. You guys were, for the most part, organized, right? So, I saw you had a great organization, great GMs, great people. Put, and I'm just, this is from the outside, just saying. So, I might be totally wrong. You can correct me anytime, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah. but it looked looked like you had a great organizational structure by a leader being there and players being there, um, and. So you have hard work, organization, perfectionist, which is simply just double checking your work. And you guys had multiple coaches checking off on you guys. You had multiple players looking at you. You had long-term guys. You had multiple things that worked for you. But the last one is the hardest thing to find. And, And in this interview, he talks about the prudence or the ability to make the right decision for young people going up through like schooling and things like that. And how we talk about they don't really set you off the right way. And paintball does the same thing. Uh, the analogy they use is say that your entire life, your 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 life designed this compass. Everything you've learned, everything you taught, designed this compass. And this compass is telling you that true north is directly in front of you, and true north is truly to your east. It's not in front of you, and you're given this task to hey, you need to go one mile north to this pole, mm-hmm. right? And you could go I'm sorry the the, the the say the true true north is like completely behind you right so like you could go uh, a mile south. If your compass worked and hit your goal, but since your compass is telling you to go the opposite direction, your way of life, what people have taught you, what the design is of let's use paintball, of how you're supposed to train and how you're supposed to play is telling you to go the opposite direction. You'll eventually get to your goal, but you'll have to go around the full circumference of the earth to get there. Right. And you know, he talks about how every person will be a millionaire by the age of roughly 120, yeah, by the standards of the US economy at you know, 60 years old. Um, and it kind of gives that whole breakdown and the same thing in paintball, right? This, this I think the same thing happens in paintball. And I saw it in New York when I played in New York, I, I, you know, growing up, I started off competitively in 2007. I was 13 years old, um, with, uh, Albany power search camp, which Albany power search is now uh, New York extreme. Um, and I grew up with those guys and all the way up till playing semi-pro with them as, um, uh, New York outlaws, right. Which was one of Jeremy Solm's teams. Uh, We played New York Outlaws in semi-pro all the way up to semi-pro where we even got third place. We had no freaking idea what we were doing. To be totally honest, you know what I mean? Like I go back and think about how we played and the structure and the game plans and how we did things and we were completely shooting from the hip. Mm-hmm. There was no intellectual breakdown of why we did X compared to Y, and when we should do certain things and how the teams are playing. And, and there are multiple other facets of the game that I learned when I went down and played with the damage guys, which there were some players on there, just individual people who loved the sport so much they took it to their next intellectual level and they really sat down and focused it. And I think you see this out of – First out of California, right? The biggest group of people really thinking about how to win the game. And then you have the most winning teams out of California. And then Florida came up uh, roughly behind it with like the strange camp and then the damage camp and everything that came out of Florida. And now Texas is just starting to get the bug. And, and Texas is starting to understand um, the better and smarter, more intelligent way to play paintball. Um, and some players have had it in their heads, I think, the whole time. They just thought about the game differently. People like Archie Monomay or Ryan Greenspan and, you know, even yourself. That C-block drill, there was not a single one of Chicago Aftershock players that released drills like that besides you, right? So you were breaking down the game in a different intellectual level than the rest of your teammates. And Lawhead, I think Lawhead was probably a super smart guy. I never got to talk to the dude, but I'm he was super smart. Oh, yeah. Right? But, yeah. Um, they broke down the game in a different intellectual level, and I think that's the true defined difference in any sport. Right. In any sport and really in paintball. And that's really where the divide comes in is like, how much effort are you going to put in not just physically, but mentally into this game? And there is two totally different levels of effort when it comes to mental and physical. Right. Um, but it really co- correlates down to like what that success rate is, of, uh, not so much what that success rate is, but what that effort is in the right direction. If you're going the wrong way, even if you're working super hard, you're never going to get to that end goal of having a winning organization. But if you have the answers of like, hey, this is how you're supposed to win, that prudence, that understanding of what is the right direction, that's what speeds up the process and really makes winning teams. It's just funny to see that, you know um out of the midwest you know what i mean the midwest has been a correlation of incredible paintball teams like besides chicago aftershock winning in the early 2000s and like the 1990s when the game changed and evolved to the california style that you know dynasty created did you know was there ever a team out of chicago that took in that new ideology of the game that really understood the right way of winning at this x-ball format I think you guys were just like, you know, from my, my scene on the outside, it was like you guys were still fighting to be the best of the best, but you just didn't have like that last final answer of how to put it together. And I'm even totally wrong. tell I'd love to hear your opinion of that area and like how it built up because I wasn't in that area, but like I have a lot of friends and I mm-hmm. love the Chicago Latchez. It's one yeah. of my favorite teams because I'm a bloody knuckles type of guy, honestly. <laughs> well, it you was guys tough. And, and Philly Americans.
0: Yeah, it was it was tough uh, with shock because I feel like there was so much talent that rolled through the team, um, it, and we didn't really have the same team for more than two years. I I feel, yeah. and what's tough with that is like you're you're starting from scratch almost every other year, and <clears throat> that makes it really tough on getting everybody on the same page. And we definitely were not as organized <laughs> as there there <laughs> there is definitely some flaws there. But we had a lot of passion. We had a lot of heart. Um, I we, we definitely could have used uh, some more structure in our practices and our formatting and, and what we did. Um, but I, I just don't think we were, we were like 80% on everything, but we needed to be 90, 95%. And it, we just couldn't reach those extra percentage. We got so close so many times and in it. Honestly, and it showed. I mean, there were, we had so many games and so many times where we were like, we would lose to a team who would go and win the tournament or who would even get into finals or anything like that, and we would lose by a point in overtime. Um, the last two minutes of the match, it kind of it gets away from us, right, and we lose by th- two points or whatever. So it, the scoreboard looks way different than what the actual gameplay was. So, <clears throat> but that also reflects how our preparation was and we might have been out there every weekend and showing up but we didn't have th- we didn't have the direction and not saying that it it was mike bruno not giving us the right direction we also as a collective didn't go okay hey we let's let's talk to bruno let's talk to you know whoever let's let's start structuring this a little bit better we rather than do that, we just kind of went with the flow and just showed up and tried to do or we didn't try to do we just did the the bare minimum of what was needed uh instead of really kind of draining out the juice of the weekend on what we could and 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 making it better and realizing that we don't get together as as often as we would like to, and we needed to take advantage of these weekends um but I mean, we did get closer at times, but the thing is, is just, we just didn't have enough time together and every other year was, was a new crew.
1: Yeah. Carl, I bet there's a thousand people like listening to you right now that I feel in the same exact way. Right. Like I, I, I'm like, you know, at CFP, if you come to, if you come to CFP in Florida, we're out there, me, Connor and Carter from the Kings are out there every weekend. And mm. I, you know, I will take the badge of honor of being the asshole. I don't like being that guy, but it, I've, watched, I've sat back and watched it multiple times of just – if you don't have someone that is going to push the tempo or set a pace or structure the practice, the day ends up the same exact way. Every single time you – know, it's kind of funny to sit back and watch it once you realize what's going on. Everyone wants to have fun, 100%. We want to have fun. Like, that is the first reason we started playing this game undoubtedly right but my fun as a professional paintball player is i am only having fun that's and the reason i got to i think the reason i got to where i am today i'm only having fun if i'm winning if i'm the best guy out there right the d5 d6 guys d4 d3 even d2 guys coming up the ranks i think that intensity is the lesser and less each division Right. So, like you're playing D6, you're, you know, you, hopefully you go out there and win, but you're just starting. You're just starting to love the sport. You got to get that bug for it. You're in D3 X ball. You've been playing for three or four years now. You're really getting into it. Now you're getting competitive. Now you want to win, but you're not going to skip partying Friday night to go win. You might not miss a date with your girlfriend to go win. Here at the Pro Division, I've skipped weddings, I've skipped to get where I'm at now. And so have you. And so has everyone else, in pro. you've heard the story a million times, we put a level of, of perfection on ourselves, that made it so hey, we have to do more, right? We have to exceed past the normal limit of what everyone else is doing to be that level of success. But even us, if we don't have structure, if we go to a practice at a random day and just see the way a field plays out, it leads to regular recreational points. And I'm going to call them recreational points every mm-hmm. single time now because they are not match style. We are not seeing time. We're not seeing intensity. We're not understanding a format structure of what we should be doing in an actual game. Like we are playing recreational style just points, just emotion. like a just yeah, just like a rec pick up, pick up basketball game, mm-hmm. right? And and it got to a point. It actually happened about three. Or go <laughs> around the practice, and I was just like, Fuck this, like this is we are wasting our days doing this i you know i you know, I have young guys on my team, so they're still loving it and enjoying it, and they just like the fact that we get to play paintball on Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. but I'm like, hey, after fifteen years i I am only want to be here to get better like if we are doing anything else here." being better, I'm going to recognize that we're here just to have a little bit of fun. And that's totally fine. But I'm not going to bust my knees out and, and hurt for the next two days to not improve myself. So if we're going to do this, we're going to do it to a level of intensity that's above and beyond everyone else around here. And we just implemented a um, a pre-practice warm-up structure that has completely changed the way we practice now. So like we show up and everyone else Everyone else goes to the field where we can play points. Me and Connor and Carter go to a blank field that like has no bunkers blown up. We pull our two or three bunkers out. We put targets down and I have to hit 18 snapshots in a row from a high, medium, low left and right hand before I ever move my my bunker. Mm -hmm. We're doing push-ups ups with with running, gunning drills before we've ever shot at anybody. Then we're doing heads up gun battling. We're doing a a bunch of different drills to get us ready. And then we go into the day and – In the last three weeks, I felt like we've had more. Just like I said before with the kids, we've had a more productive practice, and I've played a quarter of the points. I've shot half the paint I normally do, and my shot is is cleaner and crisper than it's ever been. So it's, I I I totally resonate with you there. But I think it's a common rut that we all fall in, and I, I think a lot of the paintball community does the same exact thing of like. When we don't know what to do to have a professional style or a D1 style or a D2 style practice, we just go back into rec ball, like playing rec ball points because it's the funnest thing in the world. Like it's the mm. best thing that you can do on a Saturday and Sunday You know, you go out do this place and paintball. And, I, you know, I love it. I'm never going to knock it, but it, there's different levels to the degree – of your expectations your wants your desires and your execution and anything in life and and paintball is no different if you want to take it serious you can make it serious you don't want to take it that serious you might get good over time but it's gonna take a long time for you to be able to find your way in a pro team by just playing rec points every weekend
0: yeah there's a lot of individual recognition and i think that's that's what's kind of scary through having like a d6 like starting at d6 like that's it's great almost uh for the fact that there is the d6 and you can get in so early and you can kind of do this but the the jump from d6 to even just d1 x-ball is there even d1 or does it go from d2 to like open oh, i don't even know what it is
1: semi, it's a d2 and then d1 semi-pro so
0: semi-pro. it's there's no okay. semi-pro to be. so semi pro. Um, I mean, that's a giant jump. That's going to be a long, to- a long ride. I feel like a lot of players came in, they were novice. It was like D3 or D2. Like, that was your novice. That was your, that was your. okay, you think you can play, welcome to competitive paintball kind of a thing. And then you just, you know, run it from there. Um, but it's just, it's it's insane, you know, how many guys do kind of show up and it's just like, you know we're you know here to play paintball but i think that's you know being able to do that at a level if you are even D4 um knowing and recognizing as an individual player that it's like okay well this the, the guys around me even though they're my friends they're very much content on staying where they are and there needs to be that recognition inside the player themselves and be like okay well you know I'm going to stay after, or I'm going to show up early, or I'm going to show up on a weekend and just jump in on a random line and just work on my own shit and just, just get the reps in and do the work I need to get recognized or to even go ask a team for a tryout or just to do something to get recognized to be better <clears throat> instead of just kind of being content with being a weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, you know and I mean? that's
1: the difference. Yeah, that's totally the difference. And it's funny because once you start doing I give this advice to, to, to any pro player that is, is currently listening to this, I can I, I'll, I'll bet you a hundred bucks right And I don't bet, well, I don't bet money unless it's a roulette table honestly but I can bet you a hundred bucks is that if you go the next month, right uh, we got like three weeks before Philly practice starts, it's two or three weeks before Philly practice start. And if you go out there and in front of the recreational kids um, and you start drilling, And you start doing things that aren't rec ball style paintball, right? So you go out there and you start running C-block drills. You start running snapping drills. You start running these different drills in front of the players that are just you shooting at targets. I guarantee you within the three-week time, you will either have people joining you. You will have people after practice running the same exact drill as you. Or you have people coming up to you and talking to you about what you're doing and asking you for help within those three weeks just from running drills and not running wreck ball points because you are doing what you look. When you were out there, if you just step aside and just be an innocent bystander for a day and look at a paintball field, and hopefully you have two or three guys to the right drilling and you have 30 people on the field to the left playing points, I can guarantee you you're going to look and say these guys are trying. The guys that are doing these, these reps, these guys that are doing the drills, the ones that are sitting here sweating by themselves with no one else here, slamming that target, those guys are the pros. Yeah, you'll see it just black and white because, again, it's 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 what we love to do. But is it the most beneficial aspect of our time? No, it's proven. You know, even you brought up you brought up prior, like you need to get the spins and you need to get the reps and you need to understand the situation. Well, I can put you in that five on four hundred times within thirty minutes and run one minute drills on that five and four scenario that you sucked at. That same scenario that we know is going to come at the event, that same scenario that we know is going to happen, we can we can just pre-structure it. Put you guys in the bunkers. I'm going to blow a whistle. You have one minute. This is how the point's going to go. And this is how it normally is. The paintball might have million scenarios. But if you watch a layoff, if you watch any event, by the time you hit Sunday morning and you're still watching ghost sports, you know how the field's going to play. Mm-hmm. You know what base bunkers they're going to take, what shots are going to be making, who's most likely to get shot off the break. You can even start putting bets on it, honestly, because the structure of the game doesn't change that much. It just gets perfected over the time, right? So, when it comes to the execution and and the the players' participation, when it comes to practice, I think there needs to be a restructuring of what it really means and what the, what the path is. What is the correct? answer and the correct direction people need to go to where does their compass need to be turned to understand how to get to a top level paintball player because carl you and i both know this there's players that are in pro right now that could be beaten out pretty easily like there's there's pro players that are in the pro bracket right now that it's just like man how the hell did you get here like you know what i mean like i maybe you were great at one time but how did you get here and how did a kid not come and eat your spot yet that's my question. How did some young hungry not kid not come and take your spot, take your spot from you? Not you give him a chance. You he came and take your spot. Right? Why did Marcelo and Alex come up so young and so powerful in the early 2007-2006? Right? Why did they have the opportunity to come up and, and be a, an effective aspect in the pro division at 17-18? Why did Jacob and Justin Cornell, that one-on-one battle that just happened in Dallas, I don't know if everybody understands that, but that was the sickest one-on-one in paintball history because NXL didn't even promote it. Brandon Cornell went pro at 14 years old. Justin – or Jacob Edwards went pro at 15 years old. You're talking about two of the youngest pro stars, two phenoms of the sport for the last decade going head-to-head in a one-on-one to decide who wins the tournament. That's badass in any marketing world. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like in any marketing scheme, that's amazing. So the the compilation of like what creates that winning player – I don't think that we have really voiced like BKI paintball does a great job voicing the, the, the opinions and the drill structures of the top level pros. But if you go on BKI, there's very few scenarios of points. There's very few break, they break down points in the psychology around a point, but to execute how to make yourself better, there is drill structures. There is not go play points and do a, B and C it's, you're going to do A, B, and C that you would normally do in a point 10 million times in this bunker until you do it perfect. Mm-hmm. And then when you get it right, and then you move on to the next thing, after you do a few more of these drills, then when you have such a freaking hunger to go shoot somebody, you go, I've been shooting a metal target for three fucking weeks. I'm tired of this thing. I want to blow someone's face off. That's when you come out as an animal. That's when you come out hungry to win a point because it's the same thing, like, you know, in any other sport. I played basketball when I was younger. They would make us do a million things and never let us scrimmage. Never Mm -hmm. let us play points. All we want to do is scrimmage. Never let us scrimmage. As soon as we got to the match, I'm like, dude, let's go. Like, I am ready to play the game to 110% because I haven't got this face-to-face interaction, but it's all I've been working for. Yeah. Right? And I think that's a change that needs to happen in the sport to bring it to the next epiphany that I think it's at. Like, you played in the most athletic the the most athletic time I think in paintball right like we came in through the the structure and the initiation of paintball in the 1990s into the early 2000s then we created the speedball format and things got much faster by 2007 to 2009 you had guys that were absolutely jacked out of your gourd. You were running Mach 5, running and gunning to the 50 Snake. Ollie Lang was high diving over lanes into the corner. You had Federoff bunny hopping fucking lanes out to the Dorito side. Like, you had you had just a level of athleticism that was that's not seen today. Let's just be very blanket. It is not seen today whatsoever. Alex Goldman and Chad George are two athletic specimens in the sport right now. I have not seen either of them high dive over a lane in years. And I don't recommend either of them to do it. Right. Yeah. Like it is it is kind of dangerous at that point. But my little kid, Carter, at twenty two years old, that weighs a hundred pounds and is five, two years old, I'm training him to dive over a fucking lane. Yeah. He's going to go over a lane. You know what I mean? That is the whole focus that I think the next step is that we went from this athletic structure of paintball to an intellectual style of play where our shots got very, very accurate. Our codes got on point communication went to the next level. And I think the next correlation is the combination of those two. So now we do have a smart game. We do have an understanding of zone structures and game plays and our coaches are on point. And we do have a fast paced, intelligent based game. But now our players are taking that intelligence to the next level and being able to say, hey, I don't care if they're shooting at the snake, specifically off the break. You're going to make that bunker because you're going to dive under or over that gap. Hmm. You're going to make it, right? Beat the paint with your athleticism. The game has gotten so intelligent that it's become slow. I need you to beat that slowness by your physical ability to out, just out-juke the paint, out their gun. That is not seen very often anymore, but it's a capability, and I think black paint really screwed us right? The ring yellow paint bag? Yeah, the ring yellow paint bag, that athleticism goes through the roof, right? Like, everyone yeah. can do crazy stuff again. Um, but, yeah, that's <laughs> that's my thoughts of, like, the next step of paintball.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, also, you know, it's that little sprinkle of chaos on top of everything. Um, you know, I played a, uh, a five-man mechanical event uh, this past weekend, and all in finals, like, I was just going up the middle and going to the center 50, but nobody would ever match me. Everybody was very like just hunkered in, you know. They everybody had to get dug out, and that was the, that was the most frustrating part. It's like, man, let's let's play, let's let's go head to head. Let's like let's let's get some stuff going. Let's, but it, there's such a mindset now. Which don't get me wrong, like that wins tournaments. It does, it does win tournaments. Staying alive wins tournaments. Um, you know, taking advantage of the other team's mistakes and aggressiveness, or whatever you want to call it. But you need that mix. You need that mix of guys who can, who, who can stay alive and get dug out, but then you, you need the guys who are willing to take the chance. Because even though they're taking a risk, there's also there's a benefit to it. And, and I think that has kind of been, with, with how many bunkers there are now and everything, I kind of think that's kind of gone to the wayside, and everybody's way too important to die. And it's just... I mean, with X Ball, dude, you have so many chances. I mean, you do, but you don't. But it's not like the seven man days of where you're like, okay, well, we have eight prelim games, so you make it count. Like every single one counts. Like yes, the X Ball side, they, they count, but you have to you have to have that sprinkle of chaos on top of the intellectual game uh, of today.
1: Uh, I think it's it's even it's way more concerning than that. If you want me to be totally honest, right? So if you watch. If you watch the Kings, right, the mentality that we've that Charlie and I have tried to implement is that the game is won by an intellectual progression down the field as a unit. When one side gets too much pressure, we move the attack and we adjust the attack. And we adjust the movement mid-game to constantly put the other team on their toes and constantly move forward. And that's why you, you, our games are usually exciting, right? Mm-hmm. Exciting. But that's the biggest thing is that we talked about the base root of like what you're supposed to do to win a point, like the three roles. Like you might have a Dorito job or you're shooting a specific way off a bank and you have to go to this booker, but your end, your end job is the attacker. You have to go Yeah. or end job that paintball player. If, if, if you know, the community doesn't know this yet, they really should. Uh, we are entertainers like at the core base of it. Every single person in sports from basketball, baseball, whatever it might be, we are entertainers. If you want to make money off this sport, you have to entertain, period, right? If if you had a podcast where in every single podcast, all I did was agree with every statement that you made <laughs> and there was barely any dialogue, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would just be a very slow, boring podcast, right? So the confrontation, the attack, the aggressiveness, the, the barrel to backs and faces is what is going to sell this sport. If I was Tom Cole and, and I brought this up to him, um, before and he kind of gave me like a little smirk like it might be a good idea so I don't know but if I was Tom Cole I'd be going into the match of let's say it's Infamous versus Dynasty two hot names two big names going and I would go into the Dynasty pitch and say listen I have a $500 cash prize for whoever can get the biggest highlight reel from this match and again go to Infamous and do the same thing I have a $500 cash prize you'll win it right after this match whoever can get the biggest highlight reel I bet you money nobody's sitting in their bunkers I bet you hunkering down is the last thing that is like the last resort because mm-hmm. if if we cared about the entertainment value of this sport itself, then we would focus on what makes the game not only exciting to watch, but also the most fun to play. I mean, honestly, as players, I, I think you agree with me there. Like, I I might play as a back guy. I might play it as a three, but I do it out of necessity. I want to feast. Like, I yeah. want to go forward. I want... I, the, what I want to do when things go bad and we're down by a point, I want to go on the edge of the box. I want to lock eyes with the hung guy. I'm going to come off running, gunning, and smoke him in the face. Run down all the way to the 50. Bunker my two guys. Win the point in 10 seconds. That's what I want to do. Like that is that that's, a, is great yeah, that's right? a great plan. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great plan. Right, that's my mindset <laughs> behind it. But if if we get this mindset of like if we just don't lose, we're going to win. If we just don't die, we're going to win. The game will become utterly boring and that will destroy the entire sport not just you might win some matches great on you you might win the event but when we go to espn in five years and we look because you're the winning team so you basically decide the the playing style that we build off of i mean look at dynasty they won so much that people had to build off their playing style right, right. impact they won so much on an intellectual standpoint that we had to build off their playing style whoever wins sets the tone of how to play the game so if if we're winning off a super, super defensive mindset and constantly winning off that, the whole game becomes defensive and we become so much less entertaining across the board. I'm not going to lie. I, I had personal friends on the AC Dallas team that we were talking about before with TJ Danner and, and the Jackson brothers, but they weren't fun to watch. They were extremely boring to watch on, on Go Sports and, and in general. Like, <laughs> they won matches. They always made Sunday, like, super props to them. i seriously yeah. props, but, like, If I wanted to go show my cousin this sport for the first time, I'm no way in hell showing them an AC Dallas match. No offense to them, right? But their mentality was like, if you don't lose, we won't. If we don't die, we won't lose. And I think that's the missing factor in the whole Texas Park and the the key factor that Archie had that he took with him to Dynasty is that it is not a matter of not dying; it's a matter of did we execute a plan to go forward and touch that buzzard? Mm -hmm. If four of my guys die, but we still touch the buzzard, we win the point, right? We don't need five bodies. Four of them almost become redundant. Only one guy needs to touch the damn buzzard. But we need all five of us to get to the buzzard. Yeah. We don't, you know, at the end of the day, only one guy truly needs to survive. So that means if I shoot a guy off a break and then just send four dudes to stab four dudes, boom, I touch the buzzer.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that's what, that was my whole concept behind the advantage bunker. When I was talking with Marcelo and Tyler about the advantage bunker, that was bringing an exciting new way to win and, or to score a point in today's game rather than just hit the buzzer. Like,
1: Explain the advantage bunker
0: to me. I'm sorry, I didn't hear this one. So the advantage bunker is essentially uh, changes every event. Um, you don't know what it is, so you don't necessarily have to practice it. So it does. It makes it. You're just going to practice normally how you would anyway. But what the advantage bunker does, and this still isn't fully thought out, and hasn't been played. It was just. This is me just brainstorming. Um, but the advantage bunker you would make. Uh, it would be on your side of the field but that bunker is your other is the other team's advantage bunker so and you wouldn't make it too far away to where it would be like your your D3 or even your okay. D4 maybe you know something like that depending on the layout but what happens is um if i am good at getting into a spot and not getting shot so let's say we're down by 2 or something like that but I can make it up and in to our advantage bunker, which is on your side of the field. And I get in there, a timer goes off for like 10 seconds. And if I can stay alive in that bunker for 10 seconds, then we get the point. So what, what tends to, ha- what will I think will happen will, but you can't do that if there's like two guys alive or you just,
1: you just place the bomb. You basically just place the bomb and start to destroy, it and everyone right. knows where you're at. And so, so yeah.
0: And now, now you have to get shot out or bunkered out, otherwise, we score the point. So, a couple scenarios. So, um, you can't go in there unless there's three guys or more. So you can't like you can't get into the advantage bunker if it's like a two on four. You know what I mean? So it's irrelevant. So it's so irrelevant. you are gonna
1: close the point out. Yeah. It's yes.
0: And um, and you you're gonna be able to see like on the scoreboard you're going to be able to see how many guys are alive, which I don't think, I think should be implemented now anyway. I don't think it's going to matter much. I think it's going to be, I think it would be great, but I don't think it would like change the game much. I think it would be great information. Um, uh, but let's, uh, a scenario would be like, let's say you're down, you're down by two. There's two minutes left. Um, I get into the advantage bunker because we shot one of your guys, but four of them are just hunkered down right hunker down crossed up can't do anything but we have three guys alive and i weasel my way in to the advantage bunker 10 seconds starts now those guys have to get me out otherwise we score that point and we're one step closer you know what i mean so now i get in the advantage bunker one of those guys takes off to like come and get me or shoot me out but he gets shot out now it's like now it's three on three or you know what i mean so it's just it kind of gives you a little bit more of a way to score a point in a match um without changing the whole concept of what x ball is and that advantage bunker um is going to be like remember the old balls bunkers or something like that in the Mm -hmm, mm MPL. it'll be like a uh an advertisement bunker too to where so it's it stands out and It'll and you be... constantly
1: get hot shots from cinematics of people trying to get bunkered out of their spots or bunkered. So it's a ball, it's a big balls. You know, I got you. There's a big yeah, balls bunker, it'll... and you are getting bunkered out every single time. Yeah, it'll be a it.
0: Yeah, it'll be. Yeah. You know, it'll just move. It'll it'll be whatever, but it'll move around with every tournament. And what I think would be cool is if we had the advantage bunker, and then we did something where we did blind layouts, but we did six layouts for. I mean, I guess depending on how many. Major events. So let's say we have four major events. There is going to be five layouts. This is this is what I think it should be, um, and this isn't regarding the advantage bunker, but I think that would be a cool concept. I am just throwing it out there. Um, but blind layouts release five layouts. If we're only doing four events, release five layouts at the beginning of the year. You can practice whatever layout you want, but the layout that's going to be played will not be released until Thursday. It'll be drawn actually. Like live, it'll be drawn like that Thursday morning or whatever. So that you don't have like, you don't have people being able to sneak away and and play the field beforehand or whatever. But what's cool is that you'll have the chance of practicing the layout. You're still in
1: the practice. Exactly. That's like Marcelo's big problem, yeah.
0: And then once World Cup happens, you have two layouts that you have to choose from. And what you could do is you can play the first layout the first weekend, second layout the second weekend, and then you have a 50-50 shot of what layout you're actually going to be able to play. But you still have that kind of not knowing what's exactly going to happen or what you're going to play around. I
1: like that. I, I, I like that. You know, I, I the, factor, the factor that our layout is ever-changing is confusing to a lot of consumers, right? Um, but we have to have it, right? We have to have it because... It would. I think the game would get. In, you know, Marcelo makes an argument that the longer we have the layout, the more creative that we can become on the layout. Right? That's Which opposite. is a great argument, It really is. Yeah, I think that the more the more that we can play a layout. Yeah more redundant it would come right there are only so many amazing moves that can happen from a single layout like once all the amazing moves are ran through it's like okay we've already seen it once every layout gives us opportunities for new incredible crazy moves um i mean perfect example is like we've had layouts where there's it is impossible absolutely impossible to get a nine second point or a seven second point we have whatever fast chad yaya did for um houston heat right and there's some layouts that give you the opportunity to do so so there's incredible moves that come from each layout and opportunities for greatness for each layout, which I think is incredible. I think that concept is amazing. Um, the differentiation between a blind layout and an open layout. I like, I like your idea because that gives us six layouts so that there's still a consistent amount of practice. As it gets closer to the season, you know, it's uh, end of the season, you know, it's only two layouts. So you're practicing more and more and just figure out those two. Yeah, Right. So it gives us the desire to play more. Um, you know, I, when it comes to the layout concept, I haven't thought about it much. And I know it's a constant conversation, especially nowadays with, the, with this layout, this last event being a blind layout and whatnot. Um, I haven't thought about the value of the layout that much in the grand scheme of paintball. I think the, the two, if you want me to be totally honest, the two biggest things that I see is, is could change the world of paintball um, is one, you have to have a halftime. Like a halftime in the match. Um, a halftime aspect of the match gives momentum swings. It gives a story. It gives this it gives this pause for highlights. And there's so many marketing aspects that come into a halftime, that come into the psychology of what people can do and try to strive for betterness in people. And, and when they know they're down, it's obvious. Because sometimes these matches are so fast, they get away from us. And, and I don't think that a lot of the upper ends realize how quick it goes in those pits. Yeah. Um, and I think a halftime would really give us that break to be able to, to psychologically break it down, plus the commentators should do a lot more, one. And then two, and this is the biggest, this is the showstopper, this is the one thing that we have, I, from my knowledge in my life, we have yet to done do successfully, is that we need to get into a stadium. I've been studying these outside sports now for the last two years, professional soccer, professional football, professional basketball, going to these events, talking to people, all these different things around professional paint, professional sports to see what the differentiation is between these sports and what we have. And the biggest thing at the end of the day is that when we go to paintball, the only people hyping up paintball are the players. There is no outside engagement from the current organization. And this is nothing on Tom Cole, hundred percent Tom Cole, I think does an amazing job running the events and he has built the, the, what we have today. So I'm so happy for that man in this world. But at the end of the day, true, true presentation as a professional level sport, we need to match other professional level sports and what other people, what their mindset is for you to be truly professional real sport. We need to see you in a stadium. If you want to be a real commercial, we need to see you on TV. There's certain professional aspects that come with these other sports that are just built in the psychology of normal people because this is how they've seen these other sports. So to match that, we need to get into a level of a coliseum or a level of a venue where we support our professional athlete. If you go to a, a professional football game, like I sat like pretty close to like actually on the field to a Tampa Bay Bucs game. Um, and you know, they won the Super Bowl last year. It's a big deal. Like The game itself, the actual football game that was going on was, if I want to scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the most exciting, was like a 2. But the stadium was an eight. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're blowing. I mean, they're freaking out. They're playing music. The megadome's going crazy. Like,
0: but the did you pay for a game, I
1: did. I did.
0: So I think that's our. I think yeah. that. And sorry, not to cut you off, but I think that is because I've been thinking about this too. Right, we've been thinking about all this way of of trying to grow the sport and trying to get players get uh, players paid and all this stuff and make it sustainable and make it bigger than life and i think the biggest problem that we have is that there's no income there's no revenue for professional teams yes you can say infamous because they have their pro dna and everything mm-hmm, but nobody okay. but nobody is paying a ticket price to pay for concessions and 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 players' jerseys and seats in a stadium to build a stadium to do this to do that. There's no there there's no revenue. Well, why Carl? That why, is, why is there
1: no revenue?
0: My, I think because of the logistics of it, the simple logistics of playing the sport as it sits today are almost too expensive already. And and Dude,
1: I would my argument with that is that it would cost it would cost a parent thousands of dollars for send their kid to football send their kid to soccer camp it really does it costs thousands of dollars mm-hmm. but the parents aren't the one that the that NFL is profiting off of it's the dude that's sitting at home watching the football games cuz he supports it because the game is bigger than him because he can't do what he's watching on TV the biggest problem the reason that we don't make any fucking money in PayPal is because the guys that run PayPal don't think we're worth selling it's not a big deal in their eyes. and I mean, I, I, I say that almost with a level of ignorance because I don't know exactly, but being in this sport for 15 years and going pro and seeing the representation of what we are, I bet they're working really hard in what they think is right to make us a, a high level professional sport. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the value, the return, I can sell a Karl Markowski jersey because... Other people that have no fucking idea who you are sees value in Karl Markowski because something they saw that you did. You ran and gunned past five guns, dove into a a bunker and shot somebody in the face in slow-mo. I don't care if you've never seen a paintball gun before in your life. If you watch that, you're going to go, that man's fucking worth something. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't do that. I can't do that. You are better than me. You're worth something. Everybody that watches LeBron James says the same thing. I think everyone that, that watch Ronaldo in soccer says the same thing. It's this concept of these people are excelling in a form of life that I can barely fathom. I can barely shoot a basketball, and this guy is the absolute man. I can barely dribble a soccer ball with my feet and this guy's doing backflips kicking into the goal. I can't even shoot a paintball gun straight and this dude is running and gunning to the 50 snake and shooting somebody in the face. Mm -hmm. If we can present the value of what we bring to the world and we come when I was younger, especially in the hazing days, right? I was a young kid that always wanted to talk about paintball. So we go to a restaurant, we go to this,
0: we go to that. Oh, you were I, that kid. always like – I was the was same. Don't believe me. I was the same you know, one. I was the same one.
1: I was that kid. So like the, you know the waitress comes over. Oh, you guys are sports team. What are you here for? And I instantly go paintball. And then I get smacked in the back of the head like, idiot. You know, she doesn't want to hear about paintball. Shut yeah. up. That's the difference. That is the big thing, right? If I was – If I was a top-level player in any other sport, I don't even need to talk about myself because everyone else is already doing it because marketing and the ideology of what sports is today and how we elevate an athlete above regular human beings, that's what we do every single day. We don't look at LeBron James as a normal person. He's a top-level basketball player. He's above a regular human being in in the ideology of the marketing and advertising that we have behind that, what Nike did and everything else. We just haven't sold paintball players that way. Nobody has walked into a room of board of directors and said, We reach now, currently, 500,000 to 600,000 people in the a paintball players community. And you might not think that's a big deal, but can you just watch this small clip of what this athleticism really is? What you could sell? I could put your logo of your business right here and watch this guy run at the speed of a running back headfirst into a snake while there's people shooting at them and watch him dodge this ball. Watch this ball come out of his face and watch him dip underneath it. He just dodges it right there. Do You see that? And it doesn't matter who you are. If you, if you sold paintball, I've taken it. I've tried to do it to people that have no idea what the <laughs> sport is. And I use GI Sports 4K Dragon video. It's a 2015 video that starts off with, this is what you think paintball is and this is what it really is shows some woodsball guy getting blown up, and then it shows competitive paintball. Yeah, I use that piece as a, a foundational aspect to show people what I do in paintball. And that video works every time. Every time. Because it shows the grandstands. It shows Chantilly Castle, where we play out of. It shows slow-mo intensity shots. that shows what we actually do in an athletic manner. And it, at the end of the day, it tells the story of the, of the thing. I only play the first you know, three minutes of it and then turn it off for the rest of it. But in those three minutes, everyone after that doesn't look at me and go, Oh, so you play paintball in the woods and you just yeah. shoot around and have... they have a clear understanding <laughs> expectation of how big this is in my eyes, right? Yeah. In our eyes and in, in the real people that play the sports eyes. And I think we do not do a very good job of presenting that value to the rest of the world. So the rest of the world can bring that value back to us. Um, and like, you know, we, we didn't really dive into my story. My story is all over the place. But the one thing I do want to say on this but you know, uh, bar none is that the whole reason I'm still here in paintball, the whole reason I do what I do, I started a business. I started my own company doing a marketing agency outside of paintball to learn how to hopefully come back in the next five to seven years. And I don't want to say fix, but restructure the way this sport is presented to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's my ultimate life goal. I mean, it's just. The marketing the marketing knowledge that I'm building up today is to fix how we represent ourselves to the general public, how we sell paintball to the general public, how we get eight-year-olds consistently playing the sport and moving into a competitive manner so that their parents and their grandparents and their family falls in love with the sport because of the way their child becomes attached to the sport. This is my ultimate goal. So, like a lot of the stuff I'm talking to you about, um even when I say it, I'm like, man, I kind of sound like an asshole. So I apologize if I'm like really straight No, 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 no. Super, you know, super passionate about it. Super, super passionate about it. Well, because what I what I, I don't want, want to happen
0: it. is like like the Latin saints' um, predicament, right? What I want, yeah. what I don't want to happen is see guys have value and then something like that happen, and it's like, I mean, I I don't want to say that I called it. I I just questioned it very early on, but I also. Excuse me. I also didn't really know um, any of the background on the Saints or anything like that. But I just thought it was very, very odd um, with the amounts that were coming in and everything like that. And then things happening so suddenly, and it's like, it's like, man. But is that how? Is that what like all the? Is that what we're all waiting for? Is just some rich guy to come in and do that? Like, no, we want we want a, a, a company to come in. and and build it up and start you know, start bringing in some kind of a revenue because obviously it's not going to work if it's just like, okay, Pepsi comes in and pays a bunch of people and that's it. Like obviously there has to be some kind of a structure for people who are interested, who love the game to be able to support it in the same way that, you know, people going to stadiums or people uh, you know, buying pay-per-views or this or that. It's like you know, it's... So Carl, that...
1: I've looked at this a million different ways. Like, um, my personal opinion, complete assumption. I just want to be a precursor to that, complete assumption. But this is, I, if you wanted one fail sloop, how to fix all this? How to for us all as paintball players to get what we want? The optimal way of doing it, the optimal way, is it, you would have to come in with, I want to say, fifty plus million dollars. I don't have an exact number on it, but you'd have to have, you know. Anywhere from eight to nine figures coming into it. You would have to purchase up the image rights of all 20 professional teams and get assessed value of each one of those teams. Teams like Infamous and Dynasty would have a way higher assessed value than teams like an ML Kings or DMG where their products aren't selling, right? They give an assessed value. That value is then funded to them by the owner of that image rights. The reason you want to own the image rights is because the owner of all the image rights would then be the, that individual would create a new league with full ownership of all those professional teams. It's exactly how the NFL does it. So the NFL currently as a national football league all has image rights over the Panthers, the Ravens, the giants, all of them. So that's why you cannot buy an official, say, New York Giants material without an NFL logo on it. It's impossible. If it's, official, if it's official merchandise, it has an NFL logo. NFL actually owns their image rights, meaning that every piece of merchandise that sells from any of those teams then feeds into the NFL, then feeds across the board. And also, as an NFL, as the conglomerate, can now say, I have direct representation of these 20 teams who, tw- who touch X amount of people. And with that number, they can go out and get outside sponsors and leverage that amount of people to get money coming in, outside sponsors, and certain other aspects because they they become a much larger conglomerate than just a single team and organization. Mm-hmm. So someone would have to come in, purchase purchase all of the professional teams across the board, fund them for what they respectively are already currently making. Like I'm assuming Dynasty with the purchase of Field One, plus the amount of sales that they're doing, plus you'd have to account in the individual clinics that like Marcelo and Greenspan are doing for the income into the Dynasty name. All that would have to be accounted for and that that team would have to be supplied that income for them to be made, actually purchased. And then they can create a league where that league can leverage all image rights across the board. So now you could actually build as a professional paintball organization. Currently, why the hell would Infamous sell to Tom Cole? Why, why would they give up their image rights to Tom Cole when Tom Cole doesn't have anything to give back? Because Tom Cole doesn't have the funds to support a team like that because Infamous is making great money. Mm -hmm. infamous is doing an incredible job with their business practice dynasty has been making great money i don't know the numbers specifically but i'm pretty sure that like greenspan hasn't done anything outside of influencers and paintball his entire life which is incredible i would i hope to god my kids connor and carter have the ability to do the same thing i hope to it like my my ultimate dream is if i can really kill it is to get one of those kids a million dollar contract if i do it if i can't do that is to get my son a million dollar contract in 25 years from now right like that's the big dream in my mind um, or daughter. I truly be- yeah, our daughter our daughter, a hundred percent. Cause she should be a badass too. Um, <laughs> um, but my, I truly from looking at it on an outside perspective and just from studying other sports, there might be a million ways to skin this cat, but like the obvious one that I see is that initial step. And the funny thing is, is that per- paintball has, I think specifically, I think they've done it on purpose, have separated their, Interaction rate has separated their influence rate, has separated their monetary income rate so they could look worse for outside investors so that we could keep our hands on the pot, which has been proven to happen year over year, decade over decade, as this, this sport has grown through its cyclical matter of going up and down. It has constantly gotten, we've constantly heard of these amazing opportunities that came into paintball that went to nowhere. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, paint, or, uh, business insiders which is a completely business-based blog, released an article about GI Sports back in like either 2015 or 2017, reporting that they did $125 million in sales that year. And this is Business Insider, nothing to do with paintball whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. At $125 million estimate in just gross sales in 2015 with inflation and everything else, you're looking at you know well over $130 million – or I'm sorry, well over $300 million in sales – you're you're talking about a business entity that no, it's be very 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 hard for a kid like me to go out and make millions of dollars in my life and come in and beat a giant like that, even with a lot of money,
0: mm.
1: right? So it, it then comes to a conglomeration that purchases everything across the board and takes advantage of it fully because of the monetary <laughs> return, which I yeah. which I think is totally there, but are we selling that? Is there somebody out there right now putting all those numbers together and saying this is our actual value, this is our impression rate, this is how many people we're touching, this is how much money moves through paintball every single year. We need someone to come in and grab this by the reins. We have the infrastructure, we have the production, we have the structure, we have the operating systems, we have everything. We just need a conglomeration to come in and own it as one so that we can all work together instead of fighting over this tiny little pie that everyone thinks is a big deal.
0: Yeah,
1: It could be a big deal. It could be the most incredible thing in the world, I truly believe. It just it needs to realize it's not yet, and it could be if we work together. And that's I think that's what the missing piece is, is that one piece that brings us all together. Um, and, yeah, that's like the one thing that I've constantly strived for is how do we work as a unison instead of, constantly like i will fight you all day on a paintball field i'm pretty sure we're gonna have to play you eventually so i will gladly bunker you and go after you toe-to-toe But as soon as we step off on the field it's me versus you but when we step off this field it is the paintball players versus the world hmm. like if we want the sport to be big we are going against everything else that everyone thinks is a big deal so it's all of us versus everyone if we don't have that mentality it's very difficult to build this out
0: that's a great way to end it man i 100 yeah. percent agree with you i dude thank you so much uh i i think the exact same thing you know i i mean obviously it's it's all competition inside the net and then uh on the outside we're just trying to grow the net you know trying to grow the field and trying to grow this whole thing and i know it's so cliche and so played out now kind of grow the sport thing but it's like there has to be there's only so much growth that can become that 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 comes out organically there has to be there has to be some kind of some kind of fertilizer out there that we need, and, mm-hmm. um, and and it'll come. You know, if it's in my my uh, little timeline coming back, or yours, or anybody's, any, the, these kids. Hopefully, it is, and uh, it becomes that. But you know, who knows? And uh, and I guess we'll uh, we'll see. But I appreciate it, man. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they ask you questions and pick your brain?
1: Uh, 100% Instagram, uh, it's KB Player, KBPLAYER, K-B-P-L-A-Y-E-R. Um, DM me, uh, if I, I put this out on Marcelo's podcast as well, but um, uh, I have a a full write-up from 2019 when I ran that paintball organization, uh, Southern Range Paintball. We actually had to practice you guys that year. It was the best tournament that we had. I, pr- I played against you with all my kids. Really? Uh, we had to practice at, it was at the Chicago event, I you at the field. I think, I don't know if you were there for the practice, but your, your squad was. So um, it was awesome. and actually set us up perfect for the event. But anyways. Nice. Um, I, during that year, 2019, I wrote out a whole format of how a year's practice should be or around recommendation of structure, a layout practice, non-layout practice, um, individual drills, two-people drills, et cetera, et cetera. If you guys want that, follow me on Instagram at okay, KBPlayer. Send me a message. Say, hey, can you send me that Excel, that Microsoft doc sheet with the practice schedule? I'll send it to you right away. I've sent it over to 100 people now. They all love it. They've used it. They adapted it. They've changed it. Um, and I, hopefully I'm just there to help you guys love paintball, get better at practice and just uh, continue progressing the sport, man.
0: That's awesome, Kyle. Dude, you, you are a great voice and you have such a great direction um, and a great head on your shoulders, okay. especially like where you want to be personally as a player and everything. But as a paintball as a whole, I think you have, uh, you have some great takes on everything and where you want it to be. And I think... Uh, Dude, I think you, ML Kings, and yourself are, you know, on a good trajectory at this point, and I think uh, you guys are pretty damn exciting to watch, so it's going to be fun to see kind of where the rest of the season goes.
1: Awesome. Thank you, man. And thank you so much for having me on here. I, again, I really do appreciate it. I've been a huge fan since day one. I've been literally showing your videos of running and gunning to my kids. Uh, for <laughs> everyone that says they can't run a gun to the snake. Um, I'm like, yeah, Mouse does it, but he drops his lane beforehand. Carl just keeps on going and still makes it. <laughs> um, but uh, dude, I really do appreciate you having me on here, man. It means a lot.
0: No, absolutely, man. And uh, hopefully I'll uh, I'll see you soon.
1: I'm going to see you in Philly. I'll see you in Philly, man.
0: All right, man. Take care. We'll see you. Right. See you later. Thank you so much, Kyle. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. It was uh, it's great hearing your ideas and your thought process, process about everything. It really sounds like you have a good idea of where you want it to go and how you want it to go. And I think that it's, uh, it's only going to help. Um, you know, we have guys like yourself who are trying to move this whole thing forward in a positive manner. And with... Uh, with the sport at heart, it's uh, it's really cool to see. Thank you so much, man. Um, again, if you guys are interested, head over to h2kpaintball.com and check out what we have going on there. We are having products uh, uploaded and see what we have in the mix. It's going to be an interesting year, I can tell you that. And uh, paintball, I have a lot of friends who are now getting back into paintball and everything, whether it be mechanical or... Um, actually, competitive paintball—it's cool to see. I see—I I get a lot of messages from um, from people telling me that they're like my age, and they took a break, and they're getting back into it, and everything. And it's just—it's—it's it's great to hear, man, because it's something. The paintball community is is huge. It's—I've always told my wife and my friends and my family. Well, most of my friends are paintball players, but uh, but even you know my family and everything. I tell them if wherever we go. Like, if I put something out there, well, I would get something, uh, some kind of response of players who are like, Oh, yeah, there's a paintball field over here, or there's a, that there, and the, um, people would show up and we play. It was just, it's insane. Like, we're, we're a dedicated group, I can tell you that. And, um, I'm very much grateful for that. And, uh, I'm very much grateful for everybody who listens to the podcast. So, thank you very much. Um, and I'm gonna try and upload more regularly I apologize it has been kind of hectic lately um, life is uh, life's a bitch man when, <laughs> when things start happening and it's uh, yeah so anyway I'm sure I'll go to more detail into that uh, on the next couple podcasts but anyway thank you everyone for listening much appreciated Uh, Please don't text and drive. Keep your eyes on the road. Listen to podcasts like this one. And I'll see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace.